It has now been 400 years since God had spoken through a prophet to his people. Then Jesus enters the scene, being the answer to the prophet Malachi's final words, the Lord you are seeking will come. This section of the journey invites us to embrace the life provided by the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus, though crucified on the cross for our sin, did not stay dead. He rose again, giving assurance that death no longer has the final say when we embrace the life we find in Jesus. Join us today as we look at what it means to embrace multiplication. Well, good morning, church. How are we today? Hey, thank you for your prayers for my wife. Having COVID, she's getting better and better. She's getting stronger. So that's good. So thank you for your prayers. Um, but I know many different families are, are uh, wrestling through how to navigate COVID times and all that and sickness and, and everything. I know this last week, we just had to say goodbye to one of my uh, great Prayer at the Cross partners, uh, Gary Evenson. Gary Evenson, he and his wife Mary both have been battling COVID, but um, he, uh, he lost his life this week. They were going to be moving to North Carolina. They had their house sold here, bought a house, and uh, now Mary, who's still in the hospital, by the way, pray for Mary. She's getting better, but um, it looks like she'll be moving to North Carolina by herself. So, you know, that, that, that's tough, tough stuff. But again, we are a family here, and uh, we, we just... Uh, Make sure to be lifting Mary up and the Evenson family up. And again, so many needs. Again, this is why we believe this is a church that you've got to feel like you could belong so that you know people, know them well enough so that you could pray and come alongside because this is to be a house of prayer. Amen? Amen. I want to open with a question. Um, if the first century church was warped into the church of Jesus Christ today, would they recognize it? I, I want you to think about that. W would they recognize what they were experiencing, those lives that were being transformed by everything that they had been eyewitness to? The question for us here today is, would they recognize? If, if they, let's just forget when, you, when I say church, forget thinking about this kind of gathering. I just, if, if they had a relationship with you, would they go, oh, yeah, we worship. Well, yeah, I, I mean, we, nothing has changed here in 2,000 years. I want you to think about that. Because research has shown that the Christianity practiced here in Western society has greatly changed from that of Christianity of 2,000 years. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah here, here is what sociologists have come to understand. In fact, there was a, years ago, actually, uh, there was a researcher at Notre Dame who uh, did a long study in teenagers and, and how uh, the teenagers that grew up in churches and, and track them and say, hey, where are they now? And, you know, we've heard reports about how many of the younger generation getting away from church, all that kind of stuff. And uh, really, research has just shown that to be true because that the gospel of Jesus Christ has been hijacked by this idea that is called moralistic therapeutic deism. 
You've heard that before. I've made reference to that before. But the question for each one of us is, are you espousing to this idea that really is a man-made idea of what the Bible is to teach versus really who Jesus is and what Jesus calls from those he calls the church. See, moralistic in that so many of us were raised in households. In fact, I hear it all the time, even by those who do not even go to church. I've been around groups of friends, and all of a sudden, as they're getting high and and talking about different things, they said, hey, Brian, you probably don't want to be around us right now because, man, I know Jesus doesn't have anything to do with us right now. And I go, oh, you are so wrong. You are so wrong. But what do they get? They get this idea that because I'm not performing to a set of rules, that God hates me. Right? And do you think that's penetrated the church? Yeah. I sin? Oh, man, God has something against me. And ooh, this is why nothing good's going on in my life. I got to evaluate. I got to evaluate and all this kind of stuff. Um, So that's the moralistic. The therapeutic is this. That we have in evangelical America today, we have so watered down the gospel to be, you want a great marriage? Pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you go, wait, wait, wait. That, I mean, I believe, I want a great marriage, and, and yeah. Oh, I believe Jesus is key to a great marriage. Don't get me wrong. But here's the challenge. The challenge is when we... We propagate a faith that places you as the center that is wrong. That is not the gospel. That is not the good news. If you uh, allow me to um, put some signs up here for you. We have a lot in common with these signs. This is kind of like a riddle right now. You know what? I, I, I don't look like that. Well, what do each of these signs have in common? Well, caution because of what? What's a yield sign? It says yield to what? Okay, it's yield to, because you've got to keep your eyes. This sign is to prep you to keep your eyes onto something else that is coming, right? How about that curve? It just says, hey, you don't celebrate the sign. You don't go, oh, man, that is the coolest sign. Look at that sign. Love the colors. Love all that. I'm going to hang that sign up on the wall of my house. I like that sign so much. But these signs... The, the purpose is not the sign. The sign is to prep you that there's something else down the pike, right? See, when Jesus came, Jesus came and he did miracles, right? In the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in that gospel, the miracles of Jesus were called what? Signs. Why did John use that terminology of signs? He's a terminology of signs because these were done to point people to who Jesus was. So it wasn't just, hey, celebrate the miracle. It was, no, this miracle is to show you who I am 
And in the very same way, we in our life, we are to function as signs not to make a name for ourselves. That the signs and how we live our life, how we love our neighbors, how we sacrificially give in a radical, generous kind of a way, kind of like we're seeing in the community table. I mean, there are so many more stories that Lauren wasn't even able to share of people who are just saying, hey, there's so much more we can do. Great, great. How can I help? How can I help? Praise God. Why would you do that? Why would people do that? Because of the truths found uh, in God's word, in the life of Jesus. And even in the death of Jesus. And especially even in the resurrection of Jesus. But before we get there, listen to these words. To me, this is one of the most shocking of scriptures that we need to take to heart here in evangelical America today. I just I want you to read it because this is going to set the stage for the importance of our primary text today, Luke 24. I, I want you to read that with me. There is this little paragraph between the wedding at Cana and and Jesus uh, cleanses the temple and, and uh, an encounter with Nicodemus. And it says this, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, so this is early on in Jesus' ministry, many believed in his name. And is there a period there? No. When did people believe in his name? When they saw the signs that he was doing. They go, okay, well, great. But then it says this, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Whoa. What does that passage say? He's saying that there is a type of believism where people say, okay, Jesus, I will follow you as long as you give me free food. Right? I will follow you as long as you heal this situation. I will follow you as long as you keep blessing my bank account. See, this is 21st century evangelical normative Christianity, and it's wrong. Let's just call it what it is. In John 2, Jesus is saying this. I'm not entrusting myself to those who believe in my name in this way. Just not going to do it. That is shocking when you think about it. It says, because he knew all people needed to, or no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. He knows that at the core of sin is me. You are here for me. You are here to make my story better. You see that mentality? And it's unfortunately made its way into 
the church to create a culture of, hey, Jesus, he's my cosmic butler. Man, things go wrong. I just call out on him. And he is to do this. And when he doesn't do those things, he's going to hear it from me. In fact, I might just throw in the towel and walk away. As so many have done. Now, months ago, I had to come up with a sermon title, Embrace Multiplication. And the more I pressed into our text today, uh, not really crazy excited about, I think this is one week premature, Embrace Multiplication. But there is a wise book, Stephen Covey years ago, he says, the wisdom of beginning with the end in mind. So in that way, it's a good title. Begin with the end in mind, okay? So next week, we start a new part of our series in our journey through the Bible and called Engage in Mission. But today is the last day and embrace the life. Embrace the life. Whose life are we to embrace? The life of the living Jesus Christ who is not dead. Isn't that good? So let's look at Luke 24. Let's get into the text. Because this text uh, has some important, important truths of which the Christian faith really is built on. And we are going to stand as we begin reading in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. This is the day of Jesus' resurrection. He was crucified. He appeared to some disciples on the road to Emmaus, and now we get this text. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Very appropriate statement, by the way, because wouldn't you freak out? I I mean, don't think you wouldn't. I would freak out, especially the kind of horrific death he had. It says, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said that, he showed them his hands and his feet. And notice verse 31, this is 41. I love the honesty of the Bible. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you nothing here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Now, what a disappointment is that meal? (laughs) Seriously, guys. I mean, this guy had just rose from the dead and he's getting a can of sardines. Seriously. Seriously, but let's move on. It says, and he took it and ate it before them. Why was this Dr. Luke? Because Luke was a doctor. Why is he stressing this point? He's stressing the humanity of Jesus. It's not just spirit. It's humanity of Jesus. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Isn't that good? I mean, this star story of these verses starts in disappointment and it ends in worship. Worship literally meaning kissing the feet of the king. Isn't that good? Let's pray. Lord God, open up your word to us in ever new and amazing ways. Lord, allow the truth of your resurrection to be taken to heart because that will truly impact the way we live. And so we pray for that in your most holy and precious name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Please be seated. Five truths that we see from this passage. In fact, Luke 24 goes way out of his way to make sure that you, the reader, know there was extreme confusion because this had never happened before, especially the gory death. The gory death, that's bad enough. But this idea that Jesus rose from the grave, it had to be a spirit. No human body could go through that and come out the other side alive, right? Well, look at uh, the truth that we get from this passage is this. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Remember last week's sermon? Remember? Oh, don't be giving me these blank stares, y'all. Man, I tell you, that's very disappointing as a communicator of truth. Remember I said what the cross of Jesus did, that Jesus absorbed our sin and our guilt. He absorbed that by giving you forgiveness. He took on your sin. He, he did that. And in doing so, he absorbed the wrath of God that was directed on you for your proud rejection of acknowledging he as God. And there is rightful wrath to come from that. But Jesus absorbed that. And remember what's the third thing he absorbed? Oh, good try. Uh, (laughs) Hey, this is is why people don't have the guts to do that. Because I'll call you out. Uh, (laughs) Sorry about that. But... He absorbed the distance from a holy God in sinful creation. He absorbed that onto himself. And because Jesus didn't stay dead, it proves that he could absorb those three things. Sin is not victorious, folks. Sin is not victorious, but Jesus is. And guess what? Death is not victorious, church. Jesus is. This is why Jesus must be front and center of all that we are. 
all that we are. And this is why we are unashamed when we say our mission statement is helping people take a step closer to Jesus, knowing that when you have an encounter in the presence of a living God, he will do the work of transforming you from the inside out. Western church is about outside in. Just got to serve more, got to do this more. Oh, man, you want to make God proud of you? Man, doesn't that feed into our egos in Western society? But the fact is that Jesus doesn't need us. He doesn't. He doesn't need us, but he invites us into where life is lived. What an invitation. And he can do that because Jesus is alive. I know the world will say all kinds of things to discredit the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because if intellectuals can get you to doubt in the resurrection, then what will happen is they think that they can be labeled as those who bring down Christianity. Because without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. And that is the truth. Even the Bible says that. He says, if there's no resurrection, then the Christians should be pitied above all, is what the Bible says. But there was a resurrection. There were eyewitnesses. Here's uh, four popular theories uh, as to uh, why the resurrection didn't happen. So, again, you're a high schooler, going to college, all that stuff. Hey, prep thyself. Trust me. Prep thyself. Been there, done that. Oregon State. Oh, I had some combos with some uh, profs, let me tell you. Uh, one is the wrong tomb, that everything in Luke 14 was like Mary and the ladies went to the wrong tomb. Okay. What's the problem with that theory? Well, the religious leaders who had heard that there's a reputation of Jesus, you know, rising from the dead would go to the right tomb and show the body. Okay. Again, don't check your brains into the door. Engage your brain. Two, uh, that they were hallucinating a risen Jesus. They were probably sleep deprived. They were anxious. And so they hallucinated. Well, the problem with that is there would have to be a whole bunch of people hallucinating all at different times. Because he appeared to groups at a time. Even hundreds at a time. According to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, The most popular of the theories is the swoon theory. The swoon theory, where it's like Jesus blacked out on the cross and wasn't really dead. So the implication of this is that Jesus was buried alive and in a state where his back was ripped off of him, he bled, he had a spear thrust into under his rib cage and all of that. Now, how would you be feeling after that? I mean, seriously, how would you be feeling after that? Oh, man. Oh, oh what's the stone doing here? Oh. No way. Come on, folks. No. That's a swoon theory. How about this one? The body was stolen. Okay. That has some credibility except for the fact that these uh, disciples who weren't the smartest tools in the tool shed many times. You know what I'm saying? Many, many times it's like, what were they doing? I mean, they weren't even at the cross. They were afraid for their lives. Okay, now 
you have Jesus appearing to them, and now every one of these guys died a martyr's death. Every one. Okay, explain that. Oh, because they were so committed to this lie. Uh, no. Historical fact, Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive today. We're going to press into that more next week. But secondly, what we see from the text is this, that the word of God is true. Read through all of Luke chapter 24, and it will keep saying it is written, it is written, it is written. As the scripture said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. I mean, all through the scripture, it's just like Jesus fully satisfied what the the prophet said was going to happen. Amazing. And so then I started looking at what's the biblical evidence of, uh, of Jesus' resurrection. Well, Old Testament prophecy was filled with it. But I would encourage you to look at Isaiah 53 because that talks about the death and the resurrection of Messiah 700 years prior. Pretty remarkable, right? How about this? Jesus taught four times on the way to Jerusalem. In Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, in reference in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to (laughs) die. The religious establishment's going to put me to death. Okay, that's going to happen, but I'm going to rise again. They couldn't get that because how do you make sense of that? How do you make sense of that? They go figuratively? Okay, my notes just dropped. Um, And, oh, you're so good to me. Thank you. Yes, I will try to own my sermon better in the future. Um, Third, uh, the Sabbath was moved from Saturday to Sunday. That was an act done by those who are followers of Jesus. Why? Because the resurrection took place. And that is a very big difference in practice because people don't like change, do they? Oh, you may like change, but a lot of people don't like change. And to move a Sabbath from a Saturday to a Sunday is a big deal in that culture. And uh, so uh, here's what we rejoice in. And as we uh, have been prepping today for communion, all of these things is just so exciting, guys. Jesus is alive, and the Word of God is true. And if the Word of God was true, not with Jesus' is just His coming, the first advent, and His life, and His death, and His resurrection, all of that is true, right? If all of that is true, what else does the Bible say is going to happen in the future? Jesus is coming back. He's going to return. He's going to right every wrong. That's why I'm excited for Christmas this year, because in Christmas, we're going to be in Revelation talking about the end times. Some of you are going to go, it's about time. The guy's talking about the days and age which we live. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we can be assured because Jesus said it, the prophet said it. In fact, there's much more in the scriptures that talk about Jesus' second coming than even his first coming. His first coming is fantastic. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, who conquered sin, conquered death has prompted us to place our faith in the finished work of Jesus. And that is to compel us to this third aspect that the message of Jesus must advance. I mean, look at the scriptures, 47 and 48. He says this, Repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. 
Well, that is a mission bigger than their own little world, right? He's trying to get them to dare to dream amazing dreams. I don't know what your opinion is of Elon Musk. Some of you have Tesla, so you go, man, I think he's cool. Uh, But Musk, uh, though some people think he is a little bit crazy, had said something that I think was very, very profound. There's a documentary on Netflix I was watching, and I was just like, man, I respect that. I respect that mindset. He said, yeah, with everything going on in the earth, uh, we are going to build a, a, a space program that is going to get people to live on Mars. That is our big, hairy, audacious goal. And the amazing thing is how many people who work there at SpaceX are all about that. That's their mission. It says we are committed to the mission. The mission is something that's bigger than anything we could ever dream. And I go, you know what? I don't totally buy into that, but you can respect somebody that dared to dream so far-reaching dreams that it inspires a generation. And when you see the documentary, everybody is all in, all in, all in. And they said, since this is the mission, we've got to take this step here that will prep us for this step here that will prep us for this step here. And this is the dream. And Jesus is saying this, may all nations know. May all nations know these two words, and that is faith, not how society has abused faith, because society says faith is, hey, just believe in yourself, have faith in you. How well is that working out for people? No, the object of faith is critical, so when I say faith, it's turning to Jesus for our justification and away from ourselves, turning to the work of what Jesus has done. Good news but then also repentance, and that is turning to God as the chief end of our existence. That means, Jesus, you are worthy enough. You died. You paid for my sin. Death had nothing on you. You conquered death, and now you invite me into mission, and in inviting me into mission, it may cost me my physical life, but that's not a problem because he's not here To cater to my will, I am here to submit to his. As that's where peace is found. The world can't understand that kind of peace, but that's where peace is found. Real quickly, last two, the means of advancement is the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that gift more next week. So many times we go, hey, know the mission? Great, let's do it. Let's get her done. And Jesus says a key part of getting mission done is by the means by which he has given us to carry out that mission. It's the person of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. Leading us to the priority of mission advancement is worship. Why do I say that? Look at the text. Look at how this ends Verse 15, he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Now, there's some doubters in the group. 
But notice, there were not multitudes. Every time in Jesus' ministry, when there was a multitude of people, he would say hard stuff and the multitudes would leave. Because he is after the heart. He is after the heart. It says, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. Did they worship his miracles? No. The miracles were signs to point to Jesus. In the very same way, God will use you in amazing ways that you could never even dream. But some of us will never ever experience that because we don't believe God could use somebody like you and he desires to use somebody like you. He used me. Oh, man. My wife and I, Tammy, when we were in San Diego and we were living, we just said, well, when we were living there, we were just going, yeah, let's, let's see how God might use us in ministry at the church we were a part in. And I, I just said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a middle school Sunday school teacher. I was so bad. <laughs> I was so bad. I was so bad. Every time we drive home, Tammy would say, you know, probably not good to teach middle schoolers like this. It's just, the body language isn't that great, Brian. I just, I don't know what to do with this group. Um, I was so bad that I quit at the end of that year and just said, I am, I am never going to teach again. It's just the humor of God. And if God could use me, he can use you in ways you could only imagine. But the priority of mission advancement is kissing the feet of Jesus as king. He's not only savior, he's king. Not for him to do my will, but I said, Lord, any way you use me, it's not me. It's not about me. It's all about you. Amen? Amen. For those of you who have heard this from time, you, you, time and time again, you've probably been in church all your life. I think the most difficult mission field are those who have grown accustomed to what the evangelical church in America is and tried to play that game. I think that's the most difficult mission field. So my message is for those of you who have just said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I prayed to receive Christ. Ah, yeah, it was a long time ago, all that kind of stuff. But I have no, I, no intention whatsoever to be involved in the mission of multiplication for the great news of the redemptive news and good news of Jesus. Nope, no intention to do that. Then I would say, how in the world could you call yourself a Christ follower? Think about that. Has truly what Jesus did on the cross and what he proved that he could do on the cross by resurrecting from the dead, please allow that to over, overwhelm your hearts right now. Because we're going into a time of communion. And that time of communion is a sacred time for the church of Jesus Christ. It's a time for us 
to acknowledge that Jesus Christ paid the price so that you can live in the power of the resurrected Christ. We're going to talk more about that in this next season, Engage in Mission. But Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come all to me, all who labor and are heavy burden, all who are trying to work for God to love you or to prove your worth or to say, I matter. Jesus says, yes, you matter. I gave my life for you. I've taken away every excuse. The worst sin you could possibly do, I covered that too on the cross. Isn't that good news? And if you doubt that, where is my body today? It's not in the grave. It's at the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf. Just saying, you are seeing a child of the King who's been cleansed by my blood and now walking in my power. Giving us the resources we need, amen? So, in this time of communion, because of COVID, we've got all the bread and little uh, dishes and all that kind of stuff so you can get. and, And I would ask you to get the bread and bring that back to your seat and the cup and bring that back to your seat so we can partake together. Sound good? And again, I just want to invite anybody who does not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please do not take these elements. The Word of God is very clear. We just, this is for those who've embraced the family of faith. But if you haven't, why not? The invitation is there. May this be your first communion you've ever had. We'd have no greater joy. Neither would heaven. Lord God, thank you so much for this text and the power of your resurrection. And Lord, I pray right now as we go into a time of communion, Lord, that we will find ourselves more examining you than admiring you. The Western church loves to admire you but not examine you. Examine that you are alive. You're who your word says you are. That the whole word of God, this journey through the Bible is about Jesus through and through. Lord, Lord, I pray that we will be a people who don't just demonstrate the power of the gospel through our lives. You have called us to share it with our mouths too. And Lord, may we find ourselves worshiping you by embracing all that you have done so that you can give us the life that our souls desperately long for. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.